0: We're in First Timothy chapter 5. If you're a guest here, you've got to forgive my bad jokes. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> every now and then they come really bad ones, but every now and then, pretty more often than not. Okay. <laughs> if somebody was to ask you this morning, why you did you come to church? I hope it wasn't for my jokes. But it's amazing how people flock to churches just because of a minister. I, I was in Texas and, and we were visiting a church and somebody said, wow, we're surprised that you're here to somebody else. And he says, I'm here to hear Chuck Swindoll. And they were there just to hear Chuck. Nothing wrong with going to church to hear Chuck. But what happens when Chuck Swindoll dies? Then what are you going to do? Some people, they, they go to church because they like a certain style of music. You know, um, you think about it, uh, some people like the hymns, some people like uh, the more contemporary music. Uh, in Cedarville just recently, they did all, all hymns, all the whole chapel was about hymns. And, and Katie and I were listening, we are like, we were reminded, wow, unbelievable. Um, we were in tears singing, uh, there is a fountain filled with blood. You know, John from who? Emmanuel's veins. And, and to think of these old songs, rich and beautiful. But some go for that. Some go for the ministries. They love all the ministries that the church has to offer. By the way, we were in a church last week. We were visiting a church that uh, if you ever attempted to complain about two services here, how would you like to be in a church where they had an 8 o'clock service? Not one amen. All right, listen to this. 8 o'clock service, 9.30 Sunday school, 10.45 service, 6 p.m. service. All right? That's just Sunday. Then they had something on Monday. They had something on Tuesday. They had something on Wednesday. I'm not kidding. They had something on Thursday. They let you stay home on Friday. And they had something on Saturday. And then you get up Sunday, 8 o'clock. 9.30, 10.45, 9.30, 10.45, and 6 o'clock. Who votes that we do that starting next week? Anybody? Wow, a couple. Wow, you are extra spiritual. I mean, later on. But some love that. Some love less than that. So certain ministries, if a church has it, they go or don't go. Let me just mention this to you. When we go to a gym, a God-forsaken gym, when we go there, we go there to get into shape. When you come to church, I pray that your heart is to go to church to get into spiritual shape. God has put us here to help everyone to be in spiritual shape. And that's why we come to church. We say, God, I am here. I want to grow. I want to learn. I I want to be in shape. Have you noticed when people start missing and start not going, how they get out of spiritual shape and how things that used to bother them no longer bother them because they're just away from it all. Same thing when we don't go to a gym. What happens? We become more well-rounded. Amen. And people say, "I can tell you, I haven't been in gym the last few weeks, yeah. You know that. And I've been eating pizza every night and, and different things and we get out of shape. Now, what does God do? I want you to look at this passage of Scripture because what I love about this this morning is that I'm not preaching this to correct people. I'm not preaching this because Widefield Community Bible Church has a hard time putting this. I'm preaching this to, to commend you all, and this is an amazing passage of Scripture, and, and, and to show that we are doing what God wants us to do, and this is a wonderful thing. Now, having said that, Stephen had the opportunity last week to preach this passage. and right? He could have taken uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 to 18, but he kindly looked at me and says, I'm going to let you preach what the church should pay you. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate you and love you and, and all that. But I'm not going to take that angle today. We're going to go right through here and we're going to talk about what God wants. Well, look at this here. In verse 17, he, he, he mentions the elders. And if you, you know that the word elder, pastor, bishop are all used interchangeably in the Bible. So he's speaking to pastors. He's speaking to elders. He's speaking to bishops. They're the same person, by the way. But they have different functions. Interesting in the Greek, it starts off by saying this. The good rulers. Listen to this. The good rulers rulers literally in Greek and when we think of that word rule we think of somebody cracking the whip and saying yeah that's the one who rules he he cracks the whip but that's not what the word rule means in fact literally it means in English to stand before to be a leader to stand up um, yesterday, when 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 I'm picking on Stephen a little bit too much this morning, but well, yesterday when he was leading those t- teaching the children's ministries, he was lovingly leading those who are serving. It is someone who lovingly leads, who stands before, who 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 is there leading by example and also leading with exhortation. He he mentions here in verse 17 that. The, the, the elders, what God wants them to do is to lead. They are the, offer leadership, and they're to do it well. Notice this here. Well. Now, here's the problem. What makes somebody doing it well? What's the criteria for that? Well, I'm going to say this. Praise God, it's not his jokes. Amen? <laughs> So you can't say that, that this pastor is a good pastor because he tells good jokes. But I have a good one for you this morning. <laughs> Do you want to hear it? Yes. Yes. you past. Your past, huh? You guys are past. Yes. This couple was celebrating their 40th anniversary and their 60th birthday all on the same day. And as they're celebrating this, a fairy angel comes. And says, we're going to give you both one wish for being faithful to one another. We're going to give you both a wish, whatever you want. So they asked the lady, what do you want? And the lady says, I want a trip around the world. I want to make this the best anniversary ever. I want a trip around the world with my faithful husband. And the fairy angel waves the wand and poof, there were two tickets for a trip around the world. Then the fairy angel asked the man, what do you want? He goes, come here, I want a wife that's 30 years younger than me. So the fairy angel waved a wand and poof, the man was 90 years old. (laughs) Bad one? No, don't use it. (laughs) Praise God, ruling well has nothing to do with jokes. Ruing well has nothing to do with comparisons. We like to make comparisons. Oh, that's a good minister. Oh, you remind me of this minister. Or, or you're, you're much better than the other minister I used to have. Or, or this one or that one. And we make compare. That doesn't make someone good. It doesn't even make someone good if there's great fruit or success. Because God doesn't call success for us to have success. What makes someone good? Well, we don't even have to go further than 1 Timothy chapter 3. It it talks about what makes a good minister. He is doing what God wants him to do. In other words, we ought to be asking ourselves, are these elders, are these leaders doing what God wants them to do? The word well there speaks of moral goodness. It speaks that the person is faithful He is trying to do what God wants him to do. He, He has a moral character to him. It starts with the who, not the what or the why. He is leading well because he is taking care of his family. He is living for God. He is serving the Lord. He has character to back up. We look at different things in there in the character of 1 Timothy 3. He is above reproach and he cares and, and, and we're going to see here right in this passage, not only that, what is he doing ruling well? Notice this in verse 17, it shows one of the things that he focuses on. He, he's caring for souls, and that's what God has called him to do. But look at this here in verse 17. The elder who rules well are to be considered worthy of double honor. Now watch this. Especially, Right? This is what he's saying here in verse 17. There are certain, all elders rule, all elders are leading, all elders should be example, but there are some who have more of a burden, a more of a specific task in the church. And notice what they're doing. They are working hard. Now watch this. The word there, working hard, means to be exhausted. It means to be physically and emotionally exhausted. You say, what physically and emotionally exhausts somebody that is in a church trying to help lead a church? I'll tell you what's hard. Eating donuts every Thursday. Amen. That is hard. That is a hard week. I got to get up. I got to get ready for donuts. I got to prepare the coffee. That is really hard. I'll tell you what's hard. Going out and having coffee with people and enjoying talking to them in fellowship. Is that hard? Let me tell you what's hard. Look at this here. They're working hard at preaching and teaching. What are they doing? They are exhausting themselves. Studying the word of God, preparing the word of God, and not only that, proclaiming the word of God to other people. The preaching part is literally in the Greek, it's logos. It means to speak. They're speaking, they're proclaiming. And then the teaching part is they're explaining. So they're proclaiming and explaining, and they're working hard at proclaiming and explaining. Somebody says... How long does it take to make a message up? Uh, Well, usually around Sunday morning at 7.30, I start, and I'm done at 7.45, amen? Man, if it was just that easy. It is study, and it is more study, and I love looking at Stephen, I'm going to pick on him all morning, I love looking at Stephen's face and saying, can you preach for me, and so, and it's a good thing it's a good month or two out, because he knows all the work that it takes, and he studies and there is studying, and there is working hard, and it exhausts you. My, my daughter, Ellie, was talking to us the other day. She says, I don't know why I'm so tired. I said, well, Ellie, look at Ecclesiastes 12.12. She said, Dad, what does it say? I said, look at it. She goes, Dad, what does it say? Okay, here's what it says. It says, the writing of books, there is no end. And the devotion to study will weary the body. I've done FedEx double shifts, come home with all the energy in the world. I study a passage for two to three hours. I need a nap for like three hours. It wears on the mind. It wears on the heart. And here's what it is. Not only are they caring for souls here in verse 17, they are especially, they're carrying another burden. And so all the elders are, are leading, but there are a special group of them that are carrying an extra burden throughout the week. Not only caring for souls, but they're also preparing messages and proclaiming them. Now, what do you do with such people? Here's where this gets fun. Watch this. This is beautiful. Look at verse 17. Oh, I love this. I love this. Here's where we get a lot of fun here in the text. This is, this is so beautiful. Look at this here. The elders who rule well, and well is faithfulness. They are being faithful in what God has called them to do. They have the character that God wants them to have. They are to be considered. He's Paul is saying this. We are to think about them in this way. Here's how we ought to think about them. They are to be considered worthy of double what? Honor. Now, here's where this gets beautiful. The early church didn't know how to take this. And some people in the early church trying to figure out what double honor meant, because Paul doesn't make say, tell us what it means right away. were are thinking about what, what in the world double honor. So this is what they said. This is the conclusion they came. This is them, not me. They said double honor means that we should give the pastor elder a double portion of food. Praise God. <laughs> Do you know what this means? If you have one donut, I get two. If you have one plate of food, I get two. This is the greatest passage in the world. I should preach this every Sunday. I, I mean, this is amazing. Is that what it means? Oh, for nobody meant that. But they couldn't figure it out, so they thought maybe this means that we give them a double portion of food. That's not what it's talking about. Although, I like the interpretation. I mean, it's kind of nice. What is it saying here? Some other churches, they thought, so uh, the church, uh, the fathers, they thought, well, this double honor, what it means is that if you're going to give some money to a a widow in the context, you're to give double that money to to the one leading and preaching and teaching. Well, here's the problem with that it doesn't talk about how much money you give to a widow or a, 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 a number of money, it's not talking about a specific number. And then others, as they were studying this out, came to the conclusion of this. And I really believe this passage is teaching two things here. In verse 17, it's saying this, they're worthy to be of double honor. The first thing they're saying is they're worthy of respect. And what this means is how we talk to them and talk about them. It means that on Sunday afternoon we shouldn't be having roast pastor for dinner. I've been in a church where they had roast pastor for dinner, for lunch, where where we were in a church in Cambridge where we went to a deacon's house and all he was doing is ripping what the pastor said in the sermon. That's not honor. That's not respect. In fact, I want, to, I want to show you a passage here, uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Look at this here for a moment. Hebrews 13, verses 17, I want to show you here. This, this speaks of the respect there, because when we honor our mother and father, we are respecting them. We're talking to them in a way that honors God, and we're talking about them in a way that honors God. Look at this in Hebrews 13, 17, what it says here. It says this. It says we are to obey what? Our leaders. Now, this word obey is not the word obey that we think. It's the word to mean allow them to persuade you. To have an open heart. To not come with a closed heart saying nothing is ever going to change me. Here's how you know whether or not you have an open heart. Over the years that you've been going to church, can you honestly look back and say, I have changed certain things in my life because of God's word. If not, your heart's not open. Have an obedient heart, a heart that allows them to persuade you. I know it's hard trusting. Allow them to persuade you. Here's why. And look what it says. And submit to them. Follow them. Why? Look at verse 17. Verse 17. What do they oversee? They are keeping a watch over your what? Souls. They're concerned about souls. They're concerned that you're right with God. They're concerned that you have a proper view of who you are before God. They're concerned about how you're doing with other people. They're concerned about how you're living out your God-given purpose in life. They're concerned about souls. They're not concerned about what you wear or what movies you go see or or what you do. They're concerned about souls. That's what matters. And you say, but what if the guy doesn't care about my soul? Or what, what if the guy is not concerned about my soul? Look what it says here. This is a very strong passage. They will give an account. They will literally, it says here, they will stand before God. Are there people who abuse this? You better believe it. But here's what it's saying in the passage. They will stand before God and how they lead. And so they ought to be caring for souls. They ought to be caring. Not what football team you love, but whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I'm here to tell you, and especially if you're a Bronco fan, your life is going to be miserable for a long time. (laughs) very miserable but if you're a new york giant fan you got hope amen but what they should be considered worried about is whether or not you have a relationship with jesus christ that's what matters so what if our team wins if we don't have a relationship with christ and if it doesn't matter then we're going to give an account before the lord now look at this here in verse 17 There's two ways that this can happen. If you don't allow yourself to be persuaded, if you don't want to follow, if you don't want to listen, if you want to be stubborn, if you want to be self-willed, if you want to blame everybody else, if you want to think that you know better than everyone else and you're better than God, watch what happens here. Look at this in the passage. Let them do this with what? Joy. You know what brings an elder, a leader, joy? Not that you listen to them, but that you listen to God. Yes, yes. And when you listen to God, there is joy in that. I love when my kids call us now from school and tell us things that they're listening. They're listening to God. Praise God for that. It is a wonderful thing to hear that brings joy to our heart. You want to bring grief? Look at this here. And not with what? Grief. You want to know what brings Grief. Is when you don't listen to God. Is when you don't change. Is when you are indifferent to the gospel. Is when you sit there and you say, "You know what? I don't care what he says. I ain't listening. I ain't changing. I don't care what the Bible says or what God says. I don't care what." I never forget the, the the last time I was I was with my father and he was laying in bed with tubes everywhere, and I said, "Dad." I said, Dad, there's no time here. You need Jesus Christ. There's no time. And I remember him just looking at me with his his face and looking away from me like, get out of here. That brings pain to a heart. There are people who come to church who never change, who are saying to God every Sunday, get out of here. Who are saying, you're not going to persuade me. You're not going to change me. I'm going to stay the same. That brings grief. And let me just tell you something. As much as it would grieve the leader's heart, notice what it says in verse 17. This would be unprofitable for who? For you. For you. You shake your fist at Christ. You don't accept his salvation. You don't believe that, that he has died for your sins, was buried and rose again. This is unprofitable for you. If you don't want to listen to the word of God and change your heart, this is unprofitable for you. You're the one that suffers. You're the one that will struggle. And so he's saying, this is what they do. They they are worthy. Let's go back to 1 Timothy 5. He says the elders, they're ruling well. They're caring about souls. There's a special group. Some churches call them the teaching elders. I don't really like that because that's not all you do is teaching elders. It kind of makes you, put you in a group. You just teach. You still care for souls. So you're a caring elder and a teaching elder. He says they are worthy of double honor. There is a respect there. There is an honor there. But In the context, too, he's also talking about pay. Now, here's the problem. And I thank God that we're not saying this to correct anything. And I'm not looking for a private jet. Amen. People look at these pastors with private jets and they say, this is terrible how they use money. I'm here to tell you something. The private jet pastors are the exception and not the rule. You know how many private jet pastors I know that went to seminary with me? Zero. Very few. But we have seen the other side of this. In fact, there's an old prayer that a church used to pray. Lord, you keep them humble, we'll keep them poor. Now watch this. He's talking about There ought to be, he doesn't put a number on here. He's saying these are people who are caring for souls and these are people who are working hard, putting the effort in of proclaiming God's word and instructing God's word. There ought to be ample room for this person to support his family or support his needs there. It's not, there's no number on that. In fact, if he's devoted to that, he won't have time to do the other things. You say, well, churches get this, right? Listen to this. There was a, um, a little illustration here of a church in Montana. Anybody from Montana? All right, watch this here. True story from Christianity Today. Story was told of Pastor Steve from Montana. Listen to this. He had a wife and three children. Wow, we're picking on Steve all morning, aren't we? Pastor Steve tried to make ends meet somewhere below the poverty line. For a while, his family managed to scrape by, but eventually the debts became to accumulate. At a certain point, Pastor Steve decided to spend a week of vacation taking a class at seminary. The whole family was to drive to Colorado for the week, but just before they were supposed to leave, the transmission on the car went out and he received a surprise medical bill. Don't you love those? The summer night before he planned to leave, Pastor Steve sat with his his wife out on the deck of the house. They were renting and wept. There would be no trip. That week, the family vacationed in the basement of a relative's home several hours away. Eventually, Pastor Steve went to church and asked the board for a raise. Look what happens. The board grudgingly agreed to, to a small raise, but it was not large enough to meet the family's monthly expenses. The board thus recommended that Steve apply for assistance from the Montana Power Company to pay his utility bills. Mm -hmm. And then they also told him, if you need more money, why don't you become a chaplain in the National Guard? It's only one weekend a month, they explained. Here's the irony of it all. The irony of it all was that the income of the church was exceeding expenses. There was enough money in the bank to spare. But they wouldn't take care of their pastor. I thank God that's not Whitefield Community Bible Church. Sometimes we look at these pastors with jets and we say, you know what, uh, what in the world? They're in it for the money. Well, if they're in it for the money, you shouldn't have called them in the first place. It's one of the qualifications. But there is a sense where somebody who is devoted to this ought to pay. He say, show me that in the Bible. Paul says, okay, I'll show you twice in the Bible. Look at verse 18. He said, I'll show you two verses here. For the scripture says this, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is what? You know what it's saying here? It's saying Nick, back then the ox would, would pull the threshing and they would separate the grain and then the ox would eat as he wants. God says this in Deuteronomy 24, You make sure you take care of that animal. And if God is concerned about an animal, you better believe that God is also concerned about his servants. You don't muzzle the ox. You don't let it stop that animal from eating. You don't make the animal starve. You take care of the animal. Deuteronomy 24. Notice this here. He quotes a New Testament scripture, which is interesting that already in Paul's day, they recognized it as scripture. You say, when was the Bible recognized as scripture? Right in Paul's day, it was recognized as scripture. Notice this here in verse 18. The laborer is what? Worthy of his wages. In other words, this is is also a quote, too, that he's talking about back then when they would pay these servants and the servants would come out. If you didn't pay the servant, he said, watch out. You don't pay the servant. The servant prays to God. God will come on you. Wow. In other words, if the person is devoting themselves to this, you take care of them. Now, here's what's beautiful. How do we know a church really cares about the preaching and teaching of God's Word? How do we know a church is dedicated to that? Ready for the answer? Here it is. It takes care of those who are doing that. And that's why I love Whitefield Community Bible Church. Because you do. We don't have fellowship Sundays for anybody. We are having a fellowship Sunday for somebody who has dedicated their life and it was helping with preaching and teaching. And so I want to invite Rob down because I thought this was a wonderful way to end